Mayo, did you ever use Windows? Windows, the application Surface, or Windows, the operating system? What's the... What's the first one? Well, like the thing that a program renders into, and you can have multiple on the screen at once. Oh, I thought you were talking about like a like a product, like the oh, like the Microsoft table. Surface. No, no, no. That's probably yeah, that's probably a the... too um, codery word because it's like a like a render target. You can call it like a render surface. So it's like the Windows Surface anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, no. You remember the table, the Microsoft Surface table? When oh yeah, that's Apple, Apple the did Surface. My, yeah, App, Apple did an iPad, so then Microsoft did a table. To be fair, that table, I, I did. I was a bit jealous of that table at the time. I was like, "Wow, that thing's kind of cool." And, and they did that's, like, um, that's a... and they did like three um, D fish or whatever in a little like fake pond. And then, do you remember with the yeah. iPhone six S when they did three D touch uh-huh. and the wallpapers were the animated fish? They had Apple stores where they had like animated fish tables, and it was just like the Microsoft yeah, Surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Apple did an iPad, Apple did a tablet, and then Microsoft did a table, and then so they pivoted. And took the Surface brand and took it from a table to a to a tablet convertible PC thing, right? Like, yeah, I mean, all, uh, like all their laptops slash tablets now are just called Surface, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I think it's even yeah. Surface headphones, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, Surface headphones. Because the table was like, like a like... twenty grand table that like nobody bought. Um, the Surface laptops yeah. are actually not bad. The Surface table was cool for like you, you could uh, browse the web there. You could look at your photo albums there. It was like the ultimate coffee table book. Because it was the coffee table in the book. <laughs> Surface table is kind of like the enterprise. It kind of had the same enterprise uses as a augmented reality headset. <laughs> if you think about it, <laughs> but for furniture, yeah. right? Yeah. You, I mean, you could put your you could put a mug on. You could put a coffee cup on top of it, and it would respond accordingly, right? It would. Yeah. Well, the reason, reason I ask is because that. I don't know, I, that's Windows, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we we have in the in the notes from a while ago just some just some odds and end topics, and um, one of them is dock position. And uh, I think we both use the Mac for around the same time. You know, you're slightly longer than me, plus. but yeah, roughly the same. Yeah, a little older too, a little wiser. Well, not when it comes to dock position. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. So center uh, dock is like the the way a Mac comes configured, mm-hmm. and it's the way it's marketed, and it's the way that uh you know nature intends um but recently like like maybe six weeks ago i just i don't know i was just gonna i think it was when i was playing around with um with stage manager mm. on the on the mac that that's the thing where you bring in the thing from the left side and your dog can move around and the different way we'll task anyway i played played around with that just you know as 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 an experiment you know what it, what, it, what i got of it um haven't haven't done that in a while since then, but anyway, I did did sort of get used to. I just moved the dock over to the right side instead of the the bottom. The left side, I think people uh, uh, don't like Mac users don't like because it's like the start menu on on Windows on Microsoft Windows, and and that you've got on the bottom left corner you've got the start button or you at least you did back in the you know Windows days before whatever we're on now. Yeah, where the current one copies you, the Mac and it puts it all in the middle at the bottom. Yeah, 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 right, right, with the taskbar, yeah. But I think that's why Mac users, like classic Mac users, don't like the left dock option is because it's like the start menu and then all programs, and that sort of emulates what a left dock looks like. But right, right, centered bottom dock is like what is default and, you know, normal. 
but but I, I think like, there just need to be like classic Mac people do like write doc for some reason more so than anything else. Do you see that? Yeah, I can see you that. that people. Yeah, people like yeah. People, like older people seem to like the, the side docs more. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because like the dock itself is only a like OS ten invention, right? Like right. you go back to like System Seven or whatnot, and they didn't have one. I think they had like the control strip, which was more like a floaty, sl- slidey around thing of like app windows mm-hmm. and stuff. And so maybe that's where the it touch comes bar. from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, from the touch bar. Because <laughs> um, the the like the whole dock concept is you know from the two thousand and onwards. But you can't yeah. put it on the right. It's just in the wrong. It's just it's just wrong. Like putting it on the bottom felt like the mirrors the menu bar at the top, and so all the windows just go in between. Like I don't know why you put it on the right. Yeah, I agree. There's there's some. I think one of the things I hear a lot is that with the on the on the bottom, you've got more space left to right than you have top to bottom, and so if you have the dock on the bottom, you're, you're losing that that height space. You know, you're, you're giving it up to the dock, and, and then practically speaking, if I forget if this was always the case with the, with the dock, but I know it's pretty pretty aggressive from like mountain lion on. But you, if if you if your dock is like say it's got you know six apps in, in, in the dock, and then there's a lot of space on either side of it, even if your dock is like as small as it can be without being hidden, you can't use the space on either side of the dock for like putting a window there. It's like it's like off limits. Mm-hmm. It just shows your desktop. Where and and so you know if you've got a wire is just well your screen probably is wider than it is tall, and so there's a lot of just room that you can't use anything for. And if you want to use all that space and you need to make your dock taller, and your icons bigger, and then you got less height than you than you did. Um, but if if it's like I've got mine, I've I've been using it on the right side for you know six weeks or so now, and it it goes from the top to the bottom of the screen. And I don't have any of that dead space. And I don't know. I think I think what's happened for me, the thing that's clicked for me that started off with Stage Manager is I'm just looking at the windows that I'm using right here. And then I, I look at the dock as like over to the side, but I don't see it all the time. Whereas if it's center, I'm always kind of glancing at it. And I think for me, it's like a mental thing of it's, I'm less distracted writing in a text window with like wallpaper above and below it and then i've got to look over there glance over there to see all the icons and if there's like badges or you know what's going on over there so i think that's it's part part of it for me is like moving it over, over to the right side has been kind of a focus thing so, that's out of all the I, reasons people I, well, do right dog that is not a bad one i'll give you that i'll give you that okay okay Okay. you got you got to, you got to believe me though right that dock hiding is like the bane of all existence that is terrible that's that is terrible. Yeah. Dock hiding is terrible. Yeah, but if people want to put it on left or right, I don't. You know, it's worse get offended. than offended. If you hide your dock, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, it's worse than dock hiding. Menu bar hiding and not in full screen. Mm-hmm. When full screen came around with with OS 10 Lion, then you would just you you it was an option to turn the menu bar back on in full screen because the idea is, and you're in full screen, you don't want the menu bar to show. But eventually they came around and said, well, we always we let you auto hide the dock, you know, move the cursor down there and it will show. So let's do that with the menu bar as well, even outside of full screen. And so you can run your Mac that way where there's no dock visible unless you put your cursor below and there's no menu bar visible unless you put your cursor at the top. And that that is uh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if you run it like that. That's that's wild. 
you just lose all the i feel like there's a lot of interaction required to get any amount of information like if you want to know what time it is or um you know interact with anything that you need to in the menu bar and especially on um laptops like MacBook Pros or you know the MacBook Air or whatever, where you have the notch thing. Like, why not, would you hide notch, it? Notch yeah, yeah. notch books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't really get to use that area anyway. They actually added in like a not too long ago, like the last like two months or so, a setting where you can do, um, you can set the screen resolution in display settings that is the entire size of the screen apart from the notch area. So basically, it's just like you got a bigger top bezel. So clearly, it was annoying some people to the point where they like specifically went out their way to add a you know, awkward screen resolution that is, like, the same width, but the height minus the notch area. Oh. Yeah. Huh. How about that? Which I think it's crazy, iPad, because why? Why? Yeah. But yeah, you, it's, it's, it's an option. Somebody wants it. Yeah. Hmm. On, a, on an iPad, you can't move your dock. It's going to be it's gonna be fixed on the bottom. Even if... Uh, I feel like on an iPad, it's got... Even more so than on the Mac, you, you, you might want to move your dock around, because... If you've got 20 apps in your dock on your iPad and you're, and you're using it in porch orientation, then it's like tiny little icons. And if you use it on in landscape orientation, then they, they, they span across in like normal tab sizes. So then you might want to say, well, I always want to pin my dock to whatever the long side of the iPad is. And you can't do that. The problem with it on the, the iPad, iPad as well, though, the dock position is also tied to the gestures because you can like swipe the dock up from the bottom when you're inside an app and like... Like if you yeah. if if they put it on the right hand side, a right hand side swipe would then clash with slide over gesture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like it's not it has other implications there rather than literally just which which position it appears from because they already overload mm-hmm. every other side edge gesture with some you know multitask capability that the only place they really have it for the dock is at the bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and that and then if you're in, well, let's do another thing. On, on the Mac, we, we came across this difference between us a while ago, too, I think about a year ago, is that um, I minimize windows into the application because that's visually really, really – it's nice. Yeah, so and your then, windows, when you, like, you know, gene them down, they go into the app icon on the dock. Right. So, so between the, the three traffic stoplights, red, yellow, green – Yellow minimizes, you know. Command H just hides, so there's nowhere to go. They just they're just hidden. But the minimize icon brings it down into the app icon. But the default though is to put it on your dock. Which I saw I saw a video. I think it was Joanna Stern's video from Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago, where it was about her video about the the voice cloning technologies services. And in one part of the video, her Mac screen had like as many windows minimized in the dock as icons were there and it was just like a bunch of tiny safari windows and i you know that's the default so of course that's the way people use it but that's the way you prefer it too and uh when you realized i didn't i think what i think was what started this between us is that in john gruber's studio display review he had a he had a photo and it showed all the minimized windows in the dock and i thought that's that's not good. And you were like, no, that's the way you do it. <laughs> you have to do it like that. Because if you have like, you know, if you're minimizing a window, generally, like if I'm minimizing the Safari window, I've got other Safari windows open. So I want to see the minimized one, you know, off on the right and on the side. Like, seems crazy yeah, to me. You'd you hide do, it all though, under behind one icon. But. Yeah. What you do, though, is you, uh, you, you 
Oh, you do the app icon. expose thing? Yeah, that's an app. Yeah. It's so much yeah, easier just to see the little cool. icon in the corner and click it. The problem with the Joe Aniston and John Gruber examples is they had way too many windows minimized. I would agree with that. Well, yeah, you don't have, you don't have how many windows I've got minimized right now. Mm. Well, I use I only have like, you know, at any one time, two or three minimized or, you know, right now I've got none minimized. But if I did have minimized, it's nice having them one click away from being revealed again rather than hidden behind an icon. It's faster on my Mac to have Pixelmator Pro and Photos minimized into the app icon and then to relaunch it from that state than it is to quit and relaunch or, in the case of Pixelmator, to decide if I want to save the project or delete it altogether and then relaunch it. So I think if you have a single wing- window, like you're using an app with a single mm-hmm. window, then minimizing to the icon does make a lot of sense. But generally, when I'm minimizing stuff, it's like Safari windows. And so I've got like two Safari windows open and then other ones minimized, you know, to come back to you later. Um, mm-hmm. But there isn't a preference for like, if it's only one window minimizing, then I can otherwise put it in the sidebar, which would be silly. But that's maybe where the, the, yeah. the discrepancy comes from. Don't, don't like my doctor's chain sizes, though. Like, uh, you know. Oh, the magnification I, I, I thing? Use... Yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, that was kind of a fun 2000s mm-hmm. thing. But even just... You know, if I usually have 10 apps that I'm working with and I'm only using five at a time, I want all 10 on the dock because if I've got like five and then, you know, I go through them, the dock is going to like get bigger and smaller. So I always end up using preview, even though I never launch preview from the dock, but I end up having preview open from some image or something. So I always have it in the dock anyway, so it doesn't come and go, that, that, that kind of thing. And I think we both agree based on a few weeks ago episode we discussed about um, just little Mac habits. Or ne- neither of us show recent applications on the document. No, that is criminal. That is criminal. <laughs> yeah. That's an iPad behavior that was like, let's try to improve multitasking in the iPad before we even get to stage manager. <laughs> yeah. And I turn it off if, whenever I do use an iPad. Or, 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 or app library. Too. Yeah. It was also like before app library, which is just really like launchpad. You know? mm-hmm. But before app library, let, let's just have the three, three recent applications there so that you can multitask on the iPad and on the, on the Mac. It's just... Like there's just some some of the defaults that are that are wild. And I, I had a friend visiting in town, and he's he's a PC user a few weeks ago, and he'd mentioned like, you know, he just can't stand the, the trackpad on a MacBook. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like of all things, objectively, the 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 MacBook trackpad is like superior to anything Windows, and you know anything that runs Windows. Um, and his complaint was that tap to click is not an option and then also it's really slow and i'm like those are both defaults that are bad but you speed it up and you turn on tap to click and then you're good so yeah we i, I think probably as we figured out before we should probably be in charge of who what the defaults are <laughs> it does um, feel like some of the defaults are pretty outdated and they just never get changed but yeah anyway apple earnings apple <laughs> apple made some money with the, with their amazing default setting in yeah. uh <laughs> I, I actually I couldn't tell you a thing about Apple earnings. So, what's your report on Apple's? What is it? This is uh, Q Q one of the actual year, Q two of their fiscal year. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. January to through March. So the post holiday season, uh, they actually made slightly less money uh, for the second time. So both the holiday quarter and this quarter were down year over year. You know, a few percentage points, um, which was to be expected. But you know, it's just a fact. Uh, interestingly, the the breakdowns by business division were more like illuminating so like overall revenue and like profit was basically in line the the way that the money was divided up between the units was slightly different so like iphone was estimated at 48 billion but it actually overperformed it at 51 
Um, whereas the Mac was estimated at 7.8 and it only did 7.1. Uh, and the same for um, like services as well. Uh, it was was estimated to be high and it ended up coming slightly lower. So like the iPhone propped up a lot of the other businesses, um, which was quite interesting. Uh, and the the big thing, the big like theme, I would say from like the the Tim Cook like interview and the you know the earnings call was basically we're looking at emerging markets for growth. We're we're happy with iPhone performance, uh, and we're really like you know enthusiastic about growth in emerging markets like India. Uh, we spoke about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. How you know they they they've launched their first two retail stores in India now, um, and they're trying to set up a bed there. And for a long time, Tim Cook is like people have asked him about emerging markets and he's like you know we, we want to be there we want to have a presence and as the middle class emerges in their economy we will be there to greet them you know and to hopefully bring them into the ecosystem but this time he was like you know our most of our growth in iphone this quarter was from emerging markets we think it's doing really well and we can see a long future there so it was a bit of a change in tune um otherwise it was kind of a boring situation but yeah it was just that call out to the emerging market stuff which kind of like you know stuck with me i was like oh that's actually a difference in what they normally power out mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. and then news wise uh this week apple officially announced the next design of the um apple watch pride band and and they showed off the face the watch face that i think we saw before yeah it leaked out. they yeah, also weeks ago. yeah and then they also showed off the iphone wallpaper dynamic wallpaper that will come with this year's pride collection and I don't think we saw the wallpaper before. I think we just saw the face, mm-hmm. and we presume the band would look like it does, which is um, sort of the, con- the confetti design um, is what the, the watch face has, and then the band is like that as well. It was a, it was a sport band, right? Yeah, it's a sport band, and it's got like little like rainbow pills of different colors um, mm-hmm. spattered around, and then the watch face has... Yeah. Um, well, so actually, the, conf- the, conf- the, yeah, the watch face has a few different modes, but like the default mode is like scattered around pill shapes on a white background. Confetti or sprinkles. Confetti or sprinkles, yeah. <laughs> and, and Apple says like, because they did this before, didn't they, with the one of the old Pride bands where it was like the five stripes of color and they joined them together kind of, not haphazardly, but like so that each time they were joined together, the plastic would mold in a slightly different way. So they weren't like, you know, the idea is yeah. each one's unique. Well, this is the same deal. Uh, they said in the press release that like the way that the pills are like compression molded into the, you know, the white band it means everyone is in a slightly different position. So that's how they make it unique or whatever, which I thought was a nice little touch. The, Very nice. Uh, uh, so I've seen some people say they don't like this year's band. I actually think it looks quite cool. Uh, the The watch face is interesting. So it has the... The default is like the, you know, the, the rainbow sprinkles on a white background. You can have a black background if you want. And those sprinkles um, are not static. So they respond to motion. So if you like shake your wrist around, they kind of like bob around with a bit of physics. Or you can tap and kind of push them out the way. So that's a that's a, something you don't see on a lot of watch faces. Um, although interestingly, it's only available on forty-one and forty-five millimeter si- model sizes. So that means the Apple Watch Ultra what, does what not about get forty-nine. Yep. No, 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 wow. no forty-nine model. Forty-one or forty-five hmm. only. How about that? Yep. So if you're an Ultra customer, you can't get this face, uh, which just kind of sucks. Um, and then the Pride face also has um, a kind of analog mode where it just puts the pills like you know the spokes for each digit on the clock face and then there's another mode where it's like rainbow colored digits those are those don't really do anything like special like motional wise so that the one they always lead with is this like you know random arrangement of pills that like move around as you shake them or whatever and then so it's not a bad face actually it's kind of cool in that default configuration and then the iphone wallpaper 
is this like spiral of those pills um, in the different colors. And then as you unlock the phone, the spiral kind of rotates around and moves upwards. So you get like the different colors coming in. And if you repeatedly unlock each time, the spiral stops in a slightly different place. So it gradually makes it all the way through and then it kind of loops around. Um, the animation of the iPhone wallpaper is pretty cool. The The static state of the wallpaper, i.e. when it's just on your home screen, it's very, very noisy. Like, it's hard to s- distinguish app icons on it because it's just so much color and, like, a haphazard layout. So I, I don't think I'd use the iPhone wallpaper personally. Um, but the, the the band and the watch face, I think, are kind of neat. Very nice. And these um, are in the um, public... What, not um, release candidate that's what i'm trying to say release candidate uh, yeah. betas of 16.5 and watchers 9.5 and they said the uh, software update will be released next week so sometime next week that's when they'll be released to the public in terms of the software but the band itself doesn't go on sale until may the 24th so about three weeks away okay interesting mm. curious and it's just like any other sport band it's 49 dollars, probably too expensive for what it is but there you go Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Ladder. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute. Dentists, opticians appointments, filing taxes, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. You know, I've started needing glasses recently and it kind of hit me like, I'm getting older, and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. And Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. And that means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply, you fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. And Ladder has no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you cancel in the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying out claims. And Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's spelled L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. Hi, Mayo. This is an announcement that I think surprised a lot of people mm-hmm. on uh, Tuesday this week, which is that uh, both Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro are coming to the iPad. How many years have people asked for this? Like, it's crazy. It just popped out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, w- there wasn't, like, zero talk of this. Um, there's always talk of, you know, is this going to be the year when Final Cut Pro comes to the iPad? Is this going to be it? You know, there's work on it maybe for next year, maybe for next year. But it's never been like, um, let's say, like a Mark Gurman or Bloomberg report of like, this is going to be in the, in the next, you know, 18 months. Yeah, they're like actively developing this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll say we had a tip the night before that was like, coming coming tomorrow. <laughs> And I read it, and I thought, you know, of course in retrospect. Here's what I thought. I thought, normally I would make fun of this, 
in Slack and be like, yeah, right. But I don't want to look stupid if it comes true in the morning, so I'm not going to make fun of it. But I didn't think, what can we do with this? You know, I mean, realistically, if we, I think if we ran every time someone randomly tipped, you know, X project that's never been rumored is going to come out tomorrow, we would just be very irresponsible. Yeah, you're usually wrong. Uh, this was the exception where yeah, it was actually yeah, right. I was but like, it, wow. It, yeah, it nailed down like the time it would be announced and when it would be actually available was it uh later later in may 23rd i think so the timing's interesting by the way so like the pride band so they they did the newsroom post for the pride band stuff and logic and final cut on ipad at literally the same time within about a minute of each other and neither of those products come out on that tuesday it was like why the rush like they could have done one on tuesday one on wednesday yeah like i don't know yeah like did they not know that they had the same time queued up in the, you know, their blog post entry? To like, someone must out. coordinate this stuff, right? Like, why did they rush it out? I mean, it was cool they stop, did it, stop, but it, it was, like, for something that, for some, for yeah. both products aren't coming out until May the 23rd. They could have literally done one this week, one the next week. They could have done one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, but they're like, no, let's do them literally the exact same time, and then we'll wait, make you wait a couple of weeks for it to actually come out. It's like... Yeah, not not complaining though, because here we have something to discuss, which is uh, Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro for iPad. Final Cut Pro for iPad, I think, is like a big one where people are like, you know, since Apple had an, an iPad with Pro in the name, they people have wondered, well, why don't you make Pro apps for this thing? And they've kind of leaned on like LumaFusion and and DaVinci you know, Resolve, maybe, yeah, DaVinci Resolve more recently, maybe some of the Adobe apps, uh, you know, which are kind of experimental there's never been like a clear this is a company dedicated to making pro apps on the ipad that's doing it well um early on apple like i remember for the ipad too it seemed like oh apple's they're showing you you know this they're setting the bar for what is an ipad app so they're they're showing off um garage band for example was a big one it was like we can make this many tracks at one time you could make the beatles record on this this thing and then they expanded it and they often updated um, but GarageBand for iPad never seemed quite like GarageBand for the Mac, and then certainly not like anything like Logic Pro for the Mac, which is you know advanced GarageBand for professionals. Yeah, and GarageBand, um, GarageBand for iPad is a very capable application on its own. Um, yes, but it does seem like Different. in recent years that they've like maybe lost, not necessarily lost interest in it, but it hasn't been the priority, probably because they were building the logic stuff because like in the early days that was like the banner application they would always Mm -hmm. they would always push for and in fact the ipad 2 comparison is fantastic because like the ipad 1 came around and uh the whole tablet thing came out and there was a lot of mixed reception to it and it was immediately branded as the consumption device and that like within like weeks of the original ipad being announced um i think this is in the it's either in the steve jobs biography or somewhere like that he like orders the team like what can we do to show people that this is not just a consumption device. Um, even though the first iPad announcement, they had like iWork Suite as like a debut feature. Yeah, you could yeah, just pages. Yeah, so you could do pages, keynote numbers um, back then. But then again, they, they were they were cut down versions of the desktop Mac apps because it didn't. It took a few more years before iWork on Mac and iWork on iPad and iOS were like completely aligned feature-wise. Um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the narrative was that it was, you know, consumption only. And so Jobs like ordered the internal teams to like, make some stuff to show it off and the show that the tablet could be used for creativity purposes and so that's what engendered 
uh, iMovie and GarageBand to be unveiled the very next year with the iPad 2. Um, and he, you know, he even like almost alludes to it in that iPad 2 presentation. Like, you know, here we are showing you what you can do with the iPad, but where the competition is still catching up to last year's iPad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they did iPhoto the year after um, alongside the Retina uh, iPad. Um, and so that was yes. like the big debut from Apple, and it was a really good showing for you know 2011, 2012, when the iPad hardware itself was still relatively underpowered especially compared to laptops and desktop macs right but the fact that you could do all this stuff on the ipad on you know on ios was like mm-hmm. incredible touch interface it was really yeah the touch interface was well done yeah. it, it it paved a path for other companies to like oh this is how you do this kind of stuff like you can make rich deep applications and then over time they kind of got abandoned, like GarageBand less so, but iMovie a hundred got like ditched. <laughs> you know, I don't, it, it's still it's still around. They do add features to it occasionally, but like it never developed into anywhere near as capable as like iMovie on the desktop could. With like you know proper multiple tracks and moving stuff around, and I think a lot of the i the a lot of the team um, assigned to iMovie got pushed over to Clips, and so that's where a lot of the resources went to. Because um, you know you you launch iMovie on the iPad today, and it feels like a a baby application like you can get a timeline up but it's mostly like you know the movie trailers thing or you know like fixed templates and then you export and you're done like it's fine for what it is but it isn't like a proper like videoing suite people aren't making youtube videos on a on iMovie on the ipad it doesn't doesn't happen which opened up the market for things like LumaFusion and then obviously davinci resolve um but now we actually have the first party answer it took a while like the first ipad pro was 2015 and you know maybe back then it was still early enough that like the chips were you know immature and not quite as powerful as they need to be but right around when they were doing like the m1 ipad in you know 2021 it was like well look, these are literally mac desktop chips where is the mac desktop software that runs on ipad um and apple didn't have a story back then but now they do <laughs> uh again awkwardly announced in may when they literally announced the m2 ipads in january like i do wonder if maybe in the ideal timeline some of these announcements were more synced together like you know the ipad m2 plus the software at the same time but anyway this is how it's rolled out but you can just see from the screenshots like you don't even, obviously these apps don't actually become available until um, the 23rd but you can just look at the screenshots in the press release and you like know this is the real deal like these are rich complex deep you know applications that can do a lot they're not like baby down they're probably not feature complete and and as feature and uh, are not up to feature parity to the mac apps but they are clearly way closer than something like you know garage banner iMovie is and just by looking at these screenshots and the little demo video the, the, the demo video they they have um on youtube it's like yeah people are actually going to use this this is like legit um so really really impressive out the gate for like a complete surprise and i am so happy that this is here like there's a obviously these apps are going to come out and immediately people are going to be like whoa they don't do this they don't do this they don't do that and they're missing these features. I, why am I going to ever edit a video on an iPad? I'll carry on using my Mac, right? Those headlines, those posts, they're going to be written because it's just inevitable. But, you know, you do have to start somewhere. And this is Apple putting its stake in the ground big time. Like, these are pro-rich applications that you can seriously use to get serious stuff done. And the gaps in the feature set will be plugged over time, I'm sure. But, like, right out of the gate, you can't, like, this is a huge positive step, I would say. Yeah, I mean, my, my initial concern with, with the story before we got a chance to dive in was, okay, sure, Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro for iPad, but is it in name only or is it practically the apps that you know on the Mac? Are you, are you, can you do the same things? 
And it seems like, for the most part, the answer is yes. There are some very obvious limitations in, inherent to an iPad versus a Mac. Um, you know, how how can it interact with other apps on the same platform? How do you interact with storage? How do you interact with um, plugins and all these other access, like these other downloads you can have to change the experience within these apps? But just as the raw apps, like if you look at this and say the the Mac is outside of your price league or even interest and you're only going to be using an iPad Pro compared to a PC, you know, a Windows PC, um, before Final Cut wasn't even on your radar, Logic Pro wasn't on your radar as something that you could do, you're looking at Windows software or what you could do from LumaFusion and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what else you, what, what, what the equivalent for <laughs> Logic Pro would be, but like, for example, I know I've, I've used Ferrite for like podcast editing, um, on on the iPad, and um, you know, I guess you guess you play around in GarageBand, and now you've got a, a better suite of tools to use, or, or you'll have access to it on the iPad Pro. And it's not just iPad Pro; it's iPad Air as well, and I, even iPad Mini. When you like Logic, we'll get into the specs in a little bit, but like Logic runs on more than Final Cut Pro can. Final Cut is iPad Pro, but also because it's M1, then it's iPad Air as well. So, um, but l- let's get into some of the specifics about it. So. What what makes these apps iPad apps? Yeah, I, like that's the other thing, right? Like some of um, like DaVinci Resolve, like, and I don't want to like criticize the thing because it's really impressive application, and you know I'm not a video editor, so a lot of the functionality of it is like way beyond my understanding. But you can just like look at the app, and it's like, you know, they took the Mac version and they put it on the iPad screen, right? Right, and it's like they had some you know touch support and some pencils and a couple of gestures and then here it is like go go wild for it which is great and obviously it unlocks a lot of capability but what truly sets the ipad apart is the tablet form factor with the screen right and when apple added the magic keyboard accessory for you know paired trackpad and keyboard it added like a an easy get out clause for like a few more perhaps to come over and just basically port the desktop ui because they're like well you know, these people have a keyboard and mouse available. It doesn't really matter if you can't touch the screen properly. But it, it always felt a bit like, you know, not true to the not true to the device, right? These apps, uh, Final Cut and Logic, they don't sacrifice the complexity just to be a touchscreen friendly UI. They've actually gone the distance to like bring this stuff over while also being very accommodating to touch input, like. I think it's really telling that you like look at the press release here and like every single almost every screenshot or every like photo they have of people using this thing they don't have it attached to a key they don't have it attached to a keyboard case accessory like it's right. just the right. iPad on its own and it's like yeah just with your fingers no accessories required you can do like you can actually make music you can actually edit video you can do it all properly we have precision editors you can zoom in we have this little like jog wheel control that's brand new on the side so you can easily like skim through the timeline like they've really thought it through and even like all the little tool palettes that you can open for like you know turning on filters or turning on effects they haven't just like copied the mac ui and like poured it over like they're like re-implemented with like proper you know touch friendly size controls and like toggle switches and, all, and everything and yeah the ui is dense like I'm not sure how well Logic will run on the iPad Mini with that screen size, right? But like on an iPad Pro, kind of 10.9 inch, 12 inch, 12 inch, um, 11 inch screen size, like the screen is dense, but it's clearly still very, very touch friendly. And then on top of that, they have added extra stuff to work better with Apple Pencil. And if you have keyboard, obviously you can do with the keyboard shortcuts as well. But first and foremost, these apps are meant to be touched with a finger, right? They are touch screen apps. And I'm really That's happy they went that because- direction. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point because when they when they market iPad Pro and like any any iPad these days, they often show it with all the accessories mm-hmm. you can get for it. You know, mainly the keyboard case accessories for it. And so, to to, to not go that route here is smart because it differentiates it from the Mac versions, which you know you don't just want to say, well, look, you can do it now on an iPad too. It's like you, you can do. You, there are better things about it on the iPad. Um, and like on the iPad, they had Logic Pro. Like it was like Logic Remote. Mm-hmm. And it was a way of them saying the iPad is a touch interface that you can't emulate on the Mac, and that could be beneficial. So let's make a, a an iPad app that works with the Mac app. Um, I'm not. They don't hear about that app a lot. I don't know how, if it ever got updated or what, or people actually used it. But it seems like that that spirit of touch first. What can you do that you can't on the Mac? Let's apply that to make these apps both justified and available. So that's good. Good stuff. Yeah, and in turn, you mentioned the like spec requirements, right? So, like, obviously, yeah. video is more intensive than audio. So, the uh, Logic supports A12 and up, and then Final Cut is M1 and up. Um, and I don't think they're like you know being permis- pernicious here and limited to M1 just because they you know they're like oh it's an M1. It's just like these are complicated applications with a lot of resource intensiveness to them, whether it's RAM or CPU or GPU, and so they're the requirements they need. I do think. For A12, like just from a UI perspective, every every iPad that runs an A12 chip, a lot of them have small screens, especially the iPad Mini. Don't know if you're going to have a very enjoyable experience running Logic on an iPad Mini. Um, these are clearly destined for like iPad Pro sized form factors, and it kind of blends into the rumors that Apple's developing an even bigger iPad Pro to launch next year, right, or the year after, with maybe a 14 inch screen. Um, but I can't like. I'm just really. I just look at these screenshots. I'm like, this isn't a rush job. Right? They have gone the distance here. It's really, really cool, and it yeah, kind of makes me want an really iPad soon. again, even though I'm not going to use either of these apps. <laughs> it just feels like a step in the right. It's a direction. good spirit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's aspirational. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it for Final Cut, it feels a lot better of saying this requires M1 or later than like say Stage Manager does. A better multitasking experience on the on the iPad. It's like ah, oh, okay, so you know desktop class processing power that you actually the exact same processor you're going to have on a on a laptop you know on a desktop computer you you have it now on here um and then you know i think that you i think on the ipad mini but it is small but it's also dense like every, everything's tiny the truckers are so you could probably and, and it's so portable man i I, I I see that iPad Mini being used for 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 Logic in ways that like maybe more than the big one would be, and that the big one, that like smaller screens for Logic might in the way that you know same way same way with like using your phone for like um, taking in ideas mm-hmm. could be practical. Whereas you you do want a bigger screen for video editing because it's the video plus all the other things around it that you need to work with. So yeah, um, but pretty pretty cool. I mean, I, I think for the what a a twelve for logic means that my twenty eighteen iPad Pro makes the cut. I yeah, think, yeah, right? it does. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, and then it it won't for Final Cut, but that's fine for me. I don't need it. Um, and uh, yeah, so and, and I think of the two logic maybe what I care more about anyway. Not not from podcast editing, but just like personal, um, you know, dabbling around with music and, and guitar mm-hmm. and, and instruments and things. So yeah, I, not not out yet, but I'm. Hey, and the fact that these things came together too was, it wasn't like the, like one was rushed for the other one. Surely, like one's been ready. Then the, they just been waiting for the other one to to go to put them together. Uh, in the age of like an event, 
you probably could see them saying iPad Pro at an iPad Pro event. This is coming, you know, uh, later this year, something like that. But because there's no events really, besides the the videos that we have at night time, this this is fine. Um, a lot of people saying, well, I means it's going to be a pretty busy WWDC. Uh, sure, this could this could be WWDC, but you know, also WWDC is a lot of stuff is like coming later, and this is available. You know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so. I'm not sure this has any like direct correlation with iPad OS 17 or anything. It's like mm-hmm. these are separate teams, right? There, like the iWork teams, like separate team. They ship when they're ready. Yeah. I feel like these are just like yeah. they're act- they probably wanted to ship, you know, maybe last year, maybe with the iPad M2, maybe. But here we are. It's May. They're ready to go. We're just going to do them, and they're not they're not significant enough announcements for us to bump other stuff that's coming at WWC. So they get a, they get their own press release in May. Um, and we've seen this time time before right like they have press releases Mm -hmm. in may to cover stuff they don't have time for in the main like wwc keynote and they don't want to bury it but the stuff they announce in may doesn't immediately have some like hidden link to you know future ios features is not how it works it's just this is it just means they've got lots of other good stuff to announce in on june 5th uh, that this gets bumped to now it's not like there's some like master plan of well if we announce it now then in june we can announce all this other stuff like uh you know, whatever they do announce for iOS 7, iPad OS 17, I'm sure Logic and Final Cut will get updates to support that stuff, but it's not like they're interlinked, really. That'd be my prediction anyway. Um, f- sure. Finally, let's talk about pricing, right? So on the Mac, um, I would say on the Mac, Logic and Final Cut were uncharacteristically cheap for Apple <laughs> for Apple products because <laughs> uh, Logic was one-time purchase, 199 and Final Cut Pro was one-time purchase, 299 and they add, they brought them to the App Store, uh, obviously like around when the App Store was brand new to the Mac uh, with with Lion, and they did those prices and they didn't offer upgrade pricing or any sort of like you know paid upgrade model because they were trying to push like you can just bring an app to the Mac as a one time purchase and you know the the economies of scale of the App Store will, will make the, the make the money work out, and that was you know ten years ago now when stuff's changed and the modern way of pricing this stuff is via, via subscription it just is i mean like you know adobe the adobe suite it's all subscription uh everything else is subscription and so i don't think it's too much of a surprise that apple has brought these apps to the ipad under a subscription pricing model they are 4.99 each so you can 4.99 a month or 49 dollars per year and obviously everybody has a bit of like subscription fatigue but there's definitely cases where it draws more ire than others. And generally, I feel like on the Mac, there's been a fair few, like, you know, professional productivity apps that have gone from, like, from like third party that are, like, you know, used to be a $70 one-time purchase, and now they're, like, a $5 a month subscription. And it's like, you know, the pricing model really doesn't work out there if you, like, do a bit of computation. But I feel like going $5 um, a month compared to like the old Mac versions, like Final Cut is $300 one-time purchase, right? You have to use Final Cut on iPad for six years before you're in the negative on terms of- Every month, cost. yeah. Yeah, every single month. That's excluding the idea that you could unsubscribe and come back. So, right. I mean, obviously, any, I think most people would prefer a, a one-time pricing option if it's there. Um, or like, People prefer that a one-time option was offered, but you know they're not going to do that. Like this is modern day Apple business. They see they they're evangelizing everybody else on the App Store to offer subscriptions, and so they're doing it too. And I think they've priced it pretty well. Um, and I imagine in time, because uh, when when this press has come up, I saw a few people like, well, if I bought the Mac version, do I get the Apple version for free, or can I get like a discount? It's like, no, that's not that's not what's happening here. What I think is going to happen is in a few months, you know, in time, 
the Mac version will go subscription too, and they'll just merge the subscriptions together. So for five dollars a month, you can get the iPad and the Mac version of whatever app you've you've purchased. That's um, that's what I think how it will go. Hmm. Yeah, for for Final Cut Pro, you've had for three hundred dollars, you've had twelve years, and I think July is mixed the twelfth year of of free updates, and I think, and then for Logic Pro, it's ten years, so that's pretty pretty good. <laughs> I didn't pay for either one of those apps. I got them for free by working at the Apple store 10 years ago. <laughs> and then because this is the, the Mac app store is your Apple ID. It's just, just last like that. Um, so pretty, pretty good value there. You also, I think the, the, they do a, a bundle where it's, it's either two or $300. I think it might be between $200. Mm, they do students, a pro apps bundle. Yeah. Both apps for $200 for students. So really good value there. You don't get that. There's benefits here with, with, you know, I mean, like it, it they can't equal more long term, but I think the subscription pricing, especially when you look at it like annually, if you're just doing business and Final Cut is part of it or Logic is final is part of your business, then it's just for fifty dollars a year. As long as you're in business, you're making money, then that's part of your business expense. Um, for five dollars a month, like if you're a student, you know, and you're doing a project in this part of school, or like you know, you're you're just trying it out for this, you know, you have the new thing and you don't want to commit to it. But you do want to see, you know, what what you can do. Like, I'd pay five dollars as a one off thing and decide if I'm going to keep going or not, or here and there. Uh, I, and it kind of motivates you to to do more with it too. But I, I think it's like up, up front, it's a lot friendlier than than the than the all at once cost is. Long term, you know, ho- hopefully it means they they stay dedicated to these apps. Yeah, like I think making can... it a subscription also means that they're more motivated to do continual updates. And I think if you look at the Mac apps, Final Cut's got decent updates, but again, more recently tailed off. And Logic has been much more sparingly updated. I, again, from from an outside perspective, obviously, I don't use it. They, they do like annual updates. They do some they do updates, a lot of content. Yeah, but it's not like... They do a lot of content. Yeah, they're not dedicated for, to for it. But if they're doing subscription, I feel like they can be more, you know, on it. I'm not sure if it's tied together or not. I mean, I think that you might see the same amount of updates, whether subscription or, or, or standalone pricing. But it's just... If if Apple were to have made the Mac apps today, then they just would not have been up paid up front like they are. They would have been subscription. It's also it's also new for Apple to do subscription apps. I mean, they've got of course their subscriptions because of, of services revenue, and it's just going to add to that uh, to some level. But but before they they've sold you access to things within apps, and this is selling you access to the app, which is new for Apple. You know what do you th- what do you, you know? Do you think that we'll see more? Is there room for more apps from well, Apple, like subscription apps? Does Apple make any other apps that they charge two hundred, three hundred dollars for? Like, I feel like these are kind of unique cases, and that they are like you know Apple's professional apps. I don't think they're going to turn around and start charging subscriptions for like the iWork suite, right? Which obviously they used to charge a, a yearly fee for because you could buy like iWork O eight, iWork O nine, and then they just made them free. Um, doesn't really feel like they've got. I think, a- you, can, I think you can still buy them, but it's like you get them free if you have a purchase of some kind. Okay, same difference. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to pay for them, but I think you can. Yeah, it's hard. It's real hard to pay for these. <laughs> I think they come pre-installed these days when you just, like get a device. Exactly. Um, exactly. But right, yeah, there's right, like right. unless Apple like suddenly starts another like massive pre application that's like super rich and super deep, then they could charge subscription for that. Like Xcode is one option, but Xcode they by making it free, they get like they they basically 
you know support the entire app economy based off of just having the app for free and yeah, games. And they sell you a membership to yeah they, they, they sell you a membership to developer. They sell you a membership to developer program, and they're also getting fifteen to thirty percent of any money you make from the apps <laughs> you make from within Xcode eventually. So like. I don't feel like Xcode will go subscription. They have tried to monetize Xcode with Xcode Cloud, which is for like you know continuous integration services. But like the raw app itself, yeah. probably not a target for subscription. And I don't really think like any other Apple app Apple makes today um, is in that vein. If they suddenly like sprouted you know a professional photo editor or like a you know bring back Aperture for you know whatever like something like that, then maybe they could do this. But I don't. I feel like these are like special cases. Um, yeah. And for the cases they are, it it kind of works. Um, obviously, there are a lot of people complaining that it's a subscription. I get it. Like, if you really don't want to pay a subscription, you can carry on buying, like, LumaFusion or DaVinci Resolve, which I believe are one-time purchases, um, or at least one-time purchases with occasional, like, in-app purchase unlocks. Uh, they're not, like, monthly purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, but for what they priced it at, I don't think it's it's not offensive to me. Um, I'd say it's reasonable. Uh, in the scheme of things so yeah very yeah, overall like- very positive and again i'll just repeat come uh the 23rd people are going to install these apps and they're immediately going to be like well final cut doesn't do this you can't round trip to the mac you can't do this you can't export back again you know how can you do Philo? i've heard one of one of the limits of final cut is that the project can't reference external storage so like you have to store all your video content on the ipad itself which you know ipads if you have a 250 gigabyte ipad you're going to run out of space pretty quick uh, but like all of that stuff, it will be on Apple's to-do list too. They'll slowly fix it over time. They'll work through it. You know, they don't have to convince everybody that's using Final Cut Pro on the Mac to change over. And um, they can convince the new people and you know a new market, and then slowly bring in the the higher end um, workflows as they you know plug all the features in. But like, they've clearly done a lot of work here. That isn't it, it's a it's a it's a dramatic investment for them they could have gone a completely opposite route and just said we're not going to bother making final cut and logic anymore we're done and they clearly haven't done that they've done the exact opposite so i'm, I mean, I'm they, they did this. that with aperture they said go use or go use um lightroom yep. adobe lightroom yep. and and we'll we'll improve photos you know replacing iphoto and there's still opportunity there i mean I, I, photos on the mac is i think the most capable version of photos compared to iphone and ipad and there's still so many things that you can't do. Like there's an there's an app called Power Photos that's really good for um, even just like arranging your your photos. Like I, I want to look at um, something I I want to do is look at my photo library, video specifically, just videos under five seconds or less. And to to do that, I, I don't think I can do it on photos on the Mac. I haven't been able to at least. <laughs> and then I I looked into Power Photos and it's like, well, I can. Because what it is is I've got a bunch of videos that are three seconds or less because they're from live photos from a recovery, and I want to get rid of them, but there's not like one quick way to do it. <laughs> so at least with Power Photos, it's like okay, organized by resolution or by 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 uh, file size, and you know even then they get mixed up with other things. That is, and that's even before you get into like I just want to do more with editing yep. and, and thing, you know. So <laughs> separate, separate though. But yeah, big thumbs up yeah. here. Big thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously when they come out, we'll have more to say. <laughs> I would I would say then then uh, then we need that because I'm I'm looking forward to uh, playing around with Logic Pro. For me, um, before I had a Mac, my interest in music was what made me most interested in the Mac because the Mac had GarageBand. I was on a PC and using Audacity and um, playing around with Fruity Loops and things things like that to um, you know just take guitar and take like keyboard and try to do something that you know pass off his music with and that got me 
interested in the Mac primarily. Um, I, I think it's these days like <laughs> video making, YouTube vlogging, the kind of the kind of thing is like what makes people aspirational. You know, young people to to, to try out the Mac. Um, and having that on the iPad, I don't think like GarageBand has really had that same appeal, at least from my perspective, of what the iPad could do. But putting Logic Pro on the iPad, it's it's the same thing. You know, now it is. So um, I, I like that a lot. And then having Final Cut there, it's uh, it's 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 good for new generation. And then also, you know, it's it, just the whole narrative of well, Apple doesn't make Pro apps for their Pro iPads. Well. Now they do. At least they do. Yeah. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> yeah. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Collide. Our sponsor, Collide, has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet up to 100% compliance. But how can they do this? Well, it's actually super simple. If a device isn't compliant, then the user is not allowed to log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. And so it forces a person to do the necessary fixes. And it's really that simple. With that idea, Collide patches one of the major holes in a zero-trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT departments struggle to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and web browser up to date on the latest version. And without Collide, non-updated, unsecure devices can log into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and tells them how to fix it. And if they don't perform the fix within a set time period, they are blocked out. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance almost automatically. So visit collide.com slash happy hour to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash happy hour. Collide.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. All right, let's run through a few headlines. Uh, the EU, before the iPhone even goes to USB-C, the EU has issued a warning or, or, or they're, they're complaining about how Apple could limit USB-C on the iPhone. Um, this is sort of a response to, to to reporting to rumors about how the iPhone will use USB-C and how they may limit some things to, to, to their own USB-C cables or certified cables. So w- what is this story? What's that? Yeah, so this kind of started with um, there was some like, you know, spurious reports about like the the iphone's usb-c connector will be like mfi certified and proprietary and locked down and even ming chi kuo in march said that he believes that apple will optimize the fast charging performance for mfi certified chargers for the iphone 15 um so no one's really disputing that the iphone 15 has a usb-c port at this point because they have to comply with eu law and for from the purely customer perspective people have been wanting to switch to usb for a while so they're probably going to do it eventually and the eu law kind of hurried it up slightly um but what's under debate is whether apple will like do some proprietary things to the port that means certain accessories only work with the iphone 15 or certain accessories work best with the iphone 15 and like if you buy a non-certified USB-C cable it may be used runs at a slower charging speed and if you buy a certified one then it runs at a faster speed um, and we spoke about this on the show, I think probably about a month or two ago. Um, and I said, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense because you look at what they do on like, you know, Qi charging. And if you support with Qi, they support like five watt charging speeds. And if you have a MagSafe park, you get 15 watt charging speeds. So they've, they've done this before where, you know, the port will work, but for the best performance, you need like the proprietary stuff. 
Um, well, it actually turns out that part of the EU law about requiring the USB-C connector for charging, it dictates that it must support power delivery at every power wattage. So you can't block uh, faster charging speeds for proprietary use cases. And the EU commission was obviously asked about the rumours that Apple <laughs> is going to make it like an MFI cable. Yeah. Uh, and they clearly took it to heart and took it seriously enough that the Euro European commissioner, uh, Thierry Breton, sent Apple a letter warning them that they can't do this. They, uh, they said that yeah. limiting the functionality of USB-C cables would not be permitted and would prevent iPhones from being sold in the EU when the law goes into effect. This was a German, via a German press agency. Um, and apparently the EU also warned them in person during a meeting in mid-March. So I don't think Apple's going to go against the grain here in terms of the law. The, the earlier reports and rumours probably mistaken or maybe don't show the whole picture and there's some special thing that we don't fully understand yet. But for the raw fact of does any USB-C USB cable charge at the fastest speed possible, I think the answer is just going to be yes, because they have to, because the EU requires it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> uh, Apple Watch, Mark Gurman of Bloomberg says that the Apple Watch will have uh, a, a new chip this year that's based on the A15 architecture. This seems like it will be the first speed boost or maybe maybe battery gains to the Apple Watch uh, that we've had for the first time in, I think, three years. Because mm -hmm. so for three years, it's basically it been be? the same chip. Um, yeah, a A4 and A4, or excuse me, Apple Watch Series 4 and 5 have the same chip speed-wise. And then Series 6, 7, and 8 have the same chip speed-wise. Yeah. So With minor alterations for the, the screen sizes or the different sensors, but the actual like mm -hmm. CPU and GPU are identical. Um, right. But this time around, uh, Mark Gurman is reporting that he believes uh, the Apple Watch chip for the Series 9 will be based on A15 architecture. So, you know, a couple years old iPhone, but the current um, the current Apple Watch chip is based on the either the A12 or the A13. I think maybe the A13. Um, but basically, if you're going to a new architecture, it's probably going to be faster and you'll probably get performance um, and efficiency gains which is nice um to hear because we haven't really heard anything else about the series 9 this year um right and if you if you look at the watch os software rumors of it being like, you know replace the app launcher with and and you know almost a home screen of like widgets that you scroll through then that would require more performance and so you could or at least benefit anyway, from more performance know? yeah i don't think it's gonna right. be yeah you could hardware exclusive yeah yeah, it wouldn't be required, but like you can pull off anyway. But it'll it'll be better if you. <laughs> I mean, you, you want the watch to get faster anyway over time, and it hasn't in the past few years. It doesn't doesn't have to, but it doesn't hurt. Uh, and then who knows? Maybe you can multitask. You can do a phone call and and launch an app at the same time. Well, I mean, that'd be yeah, wild. Yeah. That would. That would be wild. <laughs> See, I'm I'm look, I mean, even if the watchOS software doesn't change, I always want performance to get better. And it did feel like the Apple Watch was kind of pushing it with three years on the exact same chip uh yeah so uh, here we go we get a nice little, maybe a little speed boost um because everyone says we well, don't need a faster apple watch or whatever like i promise you you get a faster chip in anything it's like wow this is actually nicer I'm not saying it forces you yeah. to get a new upgrade and buy again but like if you actually have it the experience is better and so people buying mm -hmm. you know six seven or eights would have been better off if the chip had been updated um but they finally got back around to doing it supposedly so we'll see we'll see this full uh whether they mention because that's always the litmus test right is when they do the apple watch hardware announcement during the video if they mention the CPU, you know it's been changed. If they don't mention it, it's exactly the same. Um, right. So right. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Probably September time. Yeah. Didn't with the uh, the SE two watch they compared it to the first one and it was like it's this much faster, but it's like it's like yeah, 
that used uh you know say five-year-old chip versus a two-year-old yep. chip or something like that. yeah that's they always it. pull those tricks off um yeah. and it does raise a question about the airport ultra because we don't well, we don't know for sure if the airport ultra is getting a spec bump or a new model or a refresh or whatever um yeah i would have i would have I, I mean i think i probably said earlier on like i think because it's the features of it are you know aspirational to the non-ultra watch you know brighter screen better better life then you don't have to do it but if they do a, if they do a, tr- a processor upgrade that includes performance then then just rev it as well yeah they can just rev the chip inside it and do nothing else i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i think more interesting would be a dark color option but mm. no that <laughs> so seems harder for apple <laughs> less less likely for apple to do uh, and then lastly, iPhone uh, 16, so not this coming up fall phones, but next year, uh, s- rumors of slightly bigger screens, up to 6.9 inches. Yeah. Yep, so the current iPhone 14 range is 6.1 and 6.7, um, okay. and we expect those sizes to remain the same for this full's iPhone 15, except the bezels will be thinner, uh-huh. but the actual screen sizes will be the same. Um, but Ross Young, the pretty reliable display analyst, is saying that for the iPhone 16 range, Apple is actually bumping the sizes up slightly to 6.2 something, 6.8 something, close to 6.9 inches. So these would be the biggest iPhones ever in terms of diagonal screen size. Um, obviously, we don't know much about what like the iPhone 16 will look like yet. Um, maybe, again, they're just going to get even more bezel reduction, which then they just counteract by making the screen slightly bigger, or maybe the physical size is getting you know a titch bigger. Um yeah, you know, point one of an inch is not game changing, but generally, I would say if they are changing the screen size, it probably means like the chassis is changing a bit. Because why would they make the screens yeah. point one bigger just to have the exact same chassis design? So uh, maybe this will make more sense when we start seeing like CAD leaks and schematics leaks for the iPhone 16. Because uh, the iPhone 15, you know, it does have a different design, but it's still the same like squared off edges, right? It's just tit- made of titanium. Um, with slightly different camera housing design and the bezels are getting slightly thinner. Uh, but it's still the same, you know, rounded, squared-off look in general. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the 16, yeah. I guess, and why, you know, what justifies the extra 0.1 inches on, on the screen diagonal. All right, cool. All right, well, that is the Happy Hour Podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and Apple Podcast for $5 a month or $50 per year. You get the ad-free version and that helps support us directly. We also thank everyone who supports our sponsors. If you have any feedback for us, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ApolloZach, A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZMAO. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.